chapter 2. We're in a series talking about Advent, and today our theme is on joy. And if Advent is new to you, Advent is, uh, for centuries, has been on the church calendar where we mark the time where we wait for the coming of Jesus, and we wait with expectation, uh, anticipation for what he's going to do in our lives. And so uh, Luke chapter 2, when you get there, hold on to your place. Before we actually go into my message, we have four guests with us from St. Louis. I wanted to uh, acknowledge them. We have, we have Judy and Steve. We have Tim and Kim from Windsor Crossing Church in St. Louis. They're, they're friends of ours. Could you guys just stand as we just get a picture of who you guys are and just give them a wonderful... Thank you. Thank you for being here. As if you recall, Pete uh, spoke at a church a couple of uh, months ago or so in St. Louis, uh, and they're from that wonderful church, uh, Windsor Crossing Church. So uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, when you get there, hold on to your place. Uh, we'll get there in a moment. Let's go before God. Let's invite him to speak to us as we enter into this passage. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, the celebration and joy that we taste in this room. And Lord, I ask that that joy may be full in us. May we walk out of this building different than the way we walked in. Open our eyes to what you want us to see in Scripture. Uh, We offer uh, this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. In a couple of weeks, we will be all uh, exchanging gifts. And uh, before we unwrap the gifts waiting for us under the tree... God has some gifts for us that he wants us to open up a little early. And actually, it's a gift that he wants us to open every single day. And the gift is called joy. One of the realities of Christmas time is the paradox that exists. On the one hand, Christmas time is about celebration. It's about family. It's about meals. It's about friendship. Uh, But at the same time, uh, Christmas time can be about depression. Many research has shown that uh, Christmas time and the seasons of this time of the holiday really bring about depression. And so we have a con- uh, this, this contrast that exists of joy and depression. And it is in the face of this reality that Christmas joy enters. That joy is to be something that consistently and constantly fills our lives, especially as followers of Jesus, because there's no one who showed joy better to us than Jesus. Jesus was perhaps the most joyful person that ever lived. You've heard of the most interesting man in the world. Jesus is the most joyful man in the world. But we don't typically associate joy with Jesus. You know, one of the most overlooked aspects, I believe, of Jesus' life is the joy that he possessed. But, but Jesus speaks about joyful things all the time. He speaks about the kingdom of God as being a banquet. He talks about it being a wedding feast. And I believe that Jesus wasn't just this melancholy, serious-faced Messiah walking around. He was a man, although acquainted with grief and sorrow, he was a man that lived with profound joy. And many of us have a hard time seeing Jesus this way. I mean, just look at the way that uh, Jesus is portrayed in art. In most of the art that we see, Jesus is portrayed as very serious, as very focused. And I came across some of the more famous uh, paintings and, pr- and portraits of Jesus. And, and every uh, culture has their own uh, portrayal of who Jesus is. I want to show you a couple of them. The Eastern Orthodox tradition typically sees Jesus in this way, with a very serious, one of the more famous paint, uh, portrayals of Jesus. Very serious, very focused uh, about what he is. We, we have the, the, the Catholic Jesus that many of us are uh, familiar with and we have seen. Uh, we also have uh, what I call Puerto Rican Jesus. Uh, <laughs> it's just because this is in every Puerto Rican home that you walk into. 
okay? Right in the kitchen, right? right, right just right up there. I call this one Puerto Rican Jesus. And most of the pictures of Jesus are very serious. Most of the portraits of Jesus are, are, are very, he, he's just this focused person. But I came across one image a couple of weeks ago that really gets to the other side of who Jesus is. And it's, it's joyful Jesus. It's, it's Jesus with a, 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 a smile. And Jesus was filled with joy. And Jesus wants our lives to be marked with joy. Before we go into more about what this joy is, I, I want to define joy because it's really a misunderstood word. And biblically speaking, and I, I want to adapt this, this definition of joy from Kay Warren because I think she, she offers us something. I want to adapt it and, and, and make it our own here. Where she says, and I want to adapt it here, that joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, which results in a life of celebration. That God is in control of all the details of my life. God is in control of all the details of your life, which results in a life of celebration. In our text today, we come across the message of Christmas joy. And it was a message that the people of God desperately needed to hear. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 4, hear the reading of God's word. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee, into Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. They wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause Great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. When we pick up in our text, the people of God are experiencing very little joy. Uh, For many years, they've been under Roman rule. For many years, they have been under oppression. And they're in their own land, but their own land is not theirs. It's occupied by a greater power. And so they're in exile, waiting for their redemption as their people. And so if you wanted to capture the people of God, their experience in that time, really the word that you could capture to express who they are is the word longing. They're longing for liberation. They're longing for freedom. They are longing for peace. And surely they are longing for joy. And it is into this context, into this situation that God speaks to them. And so in verse 10, the angel appears to the shepherds and the angel announces that good news of great joy has appeared. Up to this point in the land, there was bad news of great depression. But now, good news of great joy has come. And the reason why great joy has come was because God was finally showing up. God was finally landing. God was finally arriving. And this is the joy that that flows from the angels' mouths. God is showing up. And this is a message that the people of God desperately needed to hear. And it's a word that we desperately 
need to hear. Because we live in a similar reality. That our world longs for joy. We see oppression, we see war, we see disease. And and just like in the first century, they were longing for joy. We too long for joy. And we long for joy because we are inundated with bad news. Inundated with bad news. I don't know about you, but 2014 has really been a difficult year globally. And there's been a lot of bad news. We've seen the emergence of ISIS and barbaric beheadings. We've seen the effect of Ebola in Liberia and in East Africa where thousands of people have been dead or dead because of it. In our own country, we we continue to see racial tensions uh, split our country. We are exposed to bad news all the time. And, And watching the local news will get you depressed in three minutes because our world knows how to share bad news. Our world has a spiritual gift of sharing bad news. Heck, even the weatherman gives bad news. Have you ever noticed just a five-day forecast where the weatherman, instead of saying it's going to be a mostly sunny day, he says it's going to be partly cloudy. It's just so depressing. It's just like, couldn't you say mostly sunny? But no, it's going to be partly cloudy. The weatherman is bringing us bad news. And that's just globally. For many of us, we've also experienced bad news personally. Whether 2014 has brought about sickness in your life, or divorce, or loss of a job, or death of a loved one, we have all experienced bad news. And it is in the face of this bad news that it almost feels inappropriate to have joy. But in the bad news of life comes the good news of the gospel. And this is comforting because it tells me this, regardless of the bad news that surrounds me, God has good news for me. God has good news for you. And that good news has greater power than the bad news. And so the angel comes on the scene and says, I have great good news of great joy. Or said in this way, I have good news that will cause great joy. And some of you, you, your life has been filled with bad news. The bad news of relationships, the bad news of your health, the bad news of your finances. But the good news is that God has showed up. And the angel is saying God is in control of every detail of your life. And ultimately, everything is going to be okay. This is a cause for celebration. This good news is to produce great joy. And so from the very beginning, the very first Christmas, we see that God wants us to be filled with great joy. Now, over the past week, I've been asking people on Facebook and and the church uh, here in the office and everywhere about their joy levels. I've been asking, what's your joy level like? And if I were to ask you today, what would you say? Where is your joy level? Where is it at today? And I've been uh, asking these questions. I've been fascinated with some of the responses because what people have responded almost invariably all the time is people say things like this. These are their responses. I'd be more joyful if something happened. And they go on to describe what should happen. They say, I'd be more joyful if I met someone. I'd be more joyful. I'd be joyful if I got a new job. I'd be joyful if the Knicks won a game, you know? (laughs) But what's noteworthy is all these responses don't describe biblical joy. These responses don't describe kingdom joy. These responses don't describe Christmas joy because the the joy of our world is based on circumstances. 
The joy of our world is based on situations. But Christmas joy is deeper. Christmas joy is not circumstantial. Christmas joy is not situational. Christmas joy is consistent. Christmas joy is deeper. Christmas joy is stable. And we actually confuse joy with happiness. But joy is different than happiness. Happiness is is an emotional response to an external circumstance. And so Christmas comes and you open up the gift under the tree and it's exactly what you wanted. What flows? Happiness flows. For some of you, you're going to open the gift and it's not, not what you wanted. Happiness is not going to flow. But what joy says is this, even though you might not get what you wanted or there might not be no goodies under the tree anyway, joy can still be a reality. Because joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is not based on situations. Joy is deeper than that. Joy includes feelings, but joy is not driven by feelings. Joy comes from the very life and heart of God. And so we we notice something when we look at the story about joy. And it is this, and this is critical, that it is God that produces joy in us. It is God that produces joy in us. And this is critical because we live in a world that says something else. The world doesn't teach us that joy is produced by God. The world teaches us that joy can be purchased by us. The gospel says joy is produced by God. The world says joy can be purchased by us. This is actually one of the greatest illusions about Christmas, one of the great illusions of life. And we see it through corporations and marketers all the time. What marketers do is actually is, is, is genius. They, they do two things, the job of marketers. It's to, first of all, create a need in you that you didn't know you had. And then secondly, to give you a promise that joy will come if you purchase that item. And th- this is why... There's been a shift in advertising. As Mark Sayer says, once upon a time, products were sold on the basis of their function. And so buy this soap because it'll make you clean. Buy this suit because it was well-made. Buy this car because it's safe and economical for your family. But advertising has moved from function to experience. And many times it's the experience of joy. And so buy this toothpaste because it'll make you happy and joyful. Buy buy this car because you will attract women and that will make you happy and joyful. Buy these clothes because you will like the way you look. I guarantee it. That's that's it. And it will make you happy and joyful. But joy cannot be purchased. Joy is produced by God. And the kind of joy that we need is the kind of joy that is deeper than your purchasing habits. We need a joy that is produced by God. This is why Paul says that joy is the fruit of the spirit. It flows from the heart of God. It flows from the life of God. It is produced by the spirit. And minimally, if if joy is produced by the spirit, minimally what we need to do is take an inventory of our consumer behavior. How much have we been waiting and relying on products to produce joy? And beyond just looking at our consumer behavior, really, this truth is to form our lives. Because if God produces joy, we are called to remain close to God. If, God, if joy is flowing from the heart of God to you, 
We are to remain close to God because in God, joy is always available. That's why in this Advent season, we just don't celebrate the joy of Advent. We celebrate the Advent of joy because joy is always coming to us, flowing from the heart of God to you. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of situations, regardless of the ups and the downs of life, because God, joy flows from the very heart of God, joy is always coming to us. And so Christmas announces that joy has come and the gospel announces that the very source of this joy wants to live inside of you so that you would always have access to the joy that lives inside of you. And this is to mark our lives. We have the source of joy living inside of us. And so it is a travesty that we can have the source of joy living inside of us and not be joyful people. It's actually, it's, it's actually as mind-boggling, and I said it this way, it's as, to, to have the source of joy in us, the spirit, but not live with joy is like dying of starvation in a supermarket. I mean, could you imagine the travesty of dying? How did he die? Starvation. Where did he die? In a supermarket. What? Doesn't make any sense. You're going to make yourself a sandwich. <laughs> Go to the deli section. How? Why did he die of starvation in a supermarket? And yet we're dying of starvation for the lack of joy. And yet we have the source of joy living inside of us. Joy always available to us. Joy always possible. And yet, we live without it. And so joy is always coming to us. It's a grace. But to live into the reality of the joy that the angel announces means that we are to position ourselves to receive joy. Joy is always coming, but we're not always in position to receive it. I recall growing up as a six-year-old and seven-year-old in Star City in Brooklyn, I, I would play Little League uh, baseball. And I was a left-hander playing second base. That typically doesn't happen. And, and, and I did not want the ball to come to me ever, ever. I didn't want the ball to come to me. And so at second base, I would literally pray. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I would pray, God, please don't let the ball come this way. Please, no. And my father was the coach. Son, get ready. I'm ready. I'm ready, Daddy. It might come. Please, no. Please, no. Please, no. And then it hit the ball. It go to left field. I go, thank you, God. Thank you, God. But there's another pitch coming. Please, no, please, no. And go the other way. Thank you, God. But, but a few times a game, the ball would come my way. Especially there's a left-handed batter up. I go, oh, no, it's coming my way. And I was a terrible baseball player going up. And so every time the ball came to me, I was never in the right position to receive it. And it, it, the same was with joy. Joy, God's joy, it's always coming your way. The question is, are we in position to receive it? Are we in position to receive the joy that's always coming our way? And to, to get to a point where we live this message that the angels announce and live this message of, of, of the fruit of the spirit of being joy in our lives, we have to position ourselves. And we position ourselves by practicing the discipline of rejoicing. The discipline of rejoicing. Now, when you think of the word discipline, you probably don't think of the word rejoicing right after. It doesn't make any sense. When your mother would say, I'm going to discipline you. You didn't say, yes, 
rejoice, joy is come. When, when my mother started taking off her belt, it was not like a time to rejoice. It was a time to run. It was a time to hide. It wasn't a time to sing. So, so when we think about discipline, we don't think of the word rejoice. But spiritually speaking, the two fit together well. Because if joy is not contingent on circumstances or feelings, to rejoice shouldn't be either. And when you see it this way, it makes sense how you can be in a bad situation and yet rejoice. I used to think that to rejoice meant that you have to act as if you didn't have any problems. That you had to live in denial. That you couldn't allow yourself to be sad. Because you need to rejoice. This is why I always thought the Apostle Paul was, was crazy when he was in prison in a cold, dark, probably rat-infested prison. And he would say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'd say rejoice. I'd say, Paul must be living in denial here. And yet I think there is something for us. To rejoice is not an escapism. To rejoice means that we enter into the full reality of life, but still give expression to the goodness of God. And so for someone to rejoice might look like this. It might look like this to rejoice. But at the same time, to rejoice might look like this as well. Where your circumstances don't, you don't base your joy on circumstances. There's something deeper. There's something greater at work. And this is why someone like this, and maybe you came into this, our, this church today. Maybe this is you during this worship experience today. Maybe this is you right now. And yet you can still be joyful because joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, which results in a life of celebration. And so this is a good lesson for us because just because you see someone smiling on the outside doesn't mean they have joy. And just because you see someone living in sorrow doesn't mean that they don't have joy. Because rejoicing on the outside, the others might not look like rejoicing. You can have hardship and still rejoice. And so what does this look like? How do we cultivate the joy that already dwells inside of us through the presence of Jesus? How do we cultivate this? How do we practice this discipline of rejoicing? How do we, how do, we do what the angel announced? That we live with great joy because of this good news. And I want to offer just, just four very simple ways to cultivate joy. Four very simple ways of practicing the discipline of rejoicing. And first I'd say this. To, 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 to practice the discipline of rejoicing, and this is not an exhaustive list, but hopefully this will get us started this week. To practice the discipline of rejoicing first means that there is an embrace of corporate worship. There is an embrace of corporate worship. When, when we sing together, and when we read scripture together, and when we hear the gospel proclaimed, joy is being cultivated. And this is why it's so important that we gather for worship every single week. Because in worship, what we're doing, this is what we're doing. We, we are training our minds. We are training our hearts. We're training our lips to rejoice. And, and again, to rejoice doesn't mean that we feel happy all the time. But we are disciplining ourselves to celebrate God even when we don't feel God. And this is what God does. God is so good to us that as C.S. Lewis said, he will surprise us with joy. 
And what happens in worship, for many of us, I know for me, the song comes on, and I don't want to sing the song. And, and that's not even my song. Why did Nanaje lead the song that I wanted to sing? The one that we did yesterday. And I can't enter into worship with this song. And everything inside me doesn't want to sing. But all of a sudden, because I train myself to join the community of God and singing words of worship, even though I'm not, I might not feel it, God always does something. Well, I didn't feel it, but he surprises me with joy. Where I realized, wait a second, why? there's something shifting in my interior world. There's something happening to me. I, I'm walking out different than the way I came in. And this is why we, we have to train and have the discipline of singing. And the discipline of reading and the discipline of, of praying. Because God many times surprises us with joy. And so, how do we cultivate joy? How how do we practice the discipline of rejoicing through corporate worship? I'd also say that to cultivate joy means that we spend time being with children. Being with children. This is why uh, I believe Jesus wanted children to come to him. Let the children come to me. And the disciples are going, no, 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 no. He goes, no, no, you stay over there. Let the children, I need some joy in my life. Let the children can teach us how to have joy. Children teach us how to have joy in the smallest things. I remember Karis's, you know, first or second uh, Christmas, and we, we we decided to buy, you know, buy this present for her. And then and then she she opens up the present and she puts the present aside and and she wanted to play with the box. And I'm going, no, 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 no. We, we didn't spend that money for you to play with the box. Play with this, dear. And she just wanted the box. And she was so content and so just joyful with the box. Children can teach us joy. This is why I encourage everyone who would say, Rich, where can I volunteer? I always say, well, you can volunteer in our kids' ministry. And not just because we need it. You need it. You need joy. You want joy in your life? Volunteer. And from time to time, they'll get a little crazy. They'll get a little nutty. They'll get a little unruly. But surely you will experience joy being in the presence of children. And so children teach us how to cultivate joy. To, to the discipline of rejoicing also is really about the cultivation of delight. That we ask ourselves the question, what gives me joy? What fills my life? What, what do I delight in? We're asking ourselves that question. The challenge is we're so busy. We're workaholics. There's no time to cultivate delight. But Christmas is a time to cultivate delight. That we Sabbath with one another. That we take the time to stop, to rest, to delight, to contemplate, to share meals with friends, to experience joy and friendships. We cultivate delight. We pay attention to what nurtures our souls. When's the last time you've paid attention to what nurtures your soul? When's the last time you've cultivated delight instead of working 24-7? And finally, I say this, that to practice the Discipline of rejoicing means that there has to be contemplation. Contemplation. Where we make space for silence. Where we make space for processing and reflecting the truth that God has come to us in the flesh. And when you wrap your mind around, try to wrap your mind around that. When you're silent enough to say Christmas is the message that the eternal God has come to us in flesh. And after your brain stops hurting for a while, 
you realize something. This is cause for joy. There are many uh, experts and researchers that say that the, the silence of contemplation fills us with joy because we are aware of the gift of life. How is it that someone can sit in silence for one minute and walk out more joyful? It's a cultivation of contemplation. And yet this Christmas season, it's so easy to be harried and hurried. No wonder we're so joyless. No wonder joy is not flowing from us. Because it's hard to be joyful when you're tired. It's hard to be joyful when you're exhausted. Contemplation slows us down. To enter into the realities of God's joy. Out of which that joy fills our lives. And so the angel comes and says, I have good news of great joy for you. And he says the same to us today. That God has good news of great joy for you. And, and, and here's the, the good news. The good news is that God has come. And because God has come, he wants to settle in us this assurance that he's in control of every area of your life, all the details, which will result in a life of celebration. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And I wonder, I want to close with this question before I give us a moment just to be still and silent and then we'll sing together. But I wonder at the end of human history when we see God face to face, I wonder if the question that he asks us will probably, probably won't be, did you abstain from sin? I wonder if the question, the first question he'll ask us is, Did you enter into my joy? Did you live into my joy? Not did you abstain from sin. Did you enter into my joy? And this is the invitation of Christmas. To enter into the joy of God. And have that joy flow from our lives. I want to invite us to close our eyes for a moment. And to be still. And I imagine there are certain things that are coming against you today, some setbacks, some difficulties, sickness, pain, loss. And in the face of these realities, joy is still a possibility because joy flows from the heart of God. So what's God's invitation for you today? How do you sense the Holy Spirit leading you to cultivate joy? What is he identifying and zeroing in right now in your life so that you would walk out of this place and really the rest of this year and the rest of your life living differently because joy is a possibility. So what's God's invitation for you today? I want to give us just a moment of reflection, silence, prayer. Then we'll close with some joyful, jubilant singing before God. Let's pause.
Father, we thank you that your joy is available to us every single day, every single moment. And you call us, you invite us to live into this joy, this Christmas joy, that you have come, that you are here. And regardless of circumstances, you want to fill us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would pour in us your joy, the fruit of the Spirit. May we live differently this week. May it pour out of our lives in celebration of your presence, that every detail of our lives is in, under the control of your power. And so, Lord, out of really this message, out of this sermon, we offer now words to you of joy. We sing to you words of joy. And as we sing, Lord, we ask that you would surprise us with your joy. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's all stand and sing together. Amen. God has joy for you today. I want to invite the uh, prayer team to come to my right. We have the Lord's table to our left. And for some of you in this place, you came in here, and the last thing that you were experiencing was joy. Maybe you came in with tension. Maybe you came in with depression. Maybe you came in just sad. And in, in light of all of these realities, joy is still a possibility. And one of the ways that... Uh, we tap into joy is through prayer. Obviously, our prayer uh, just between us and God, but also as people pray for us. And this is why we end every gathering with a time of prayer for those that would like it. And so our prayer team is here to my right. If, if your life could use a little bit more joy, if you're saying, man, this Christmas, this season is supposed to be the time of celebration, of rejoicing, and yet all I see is tension. I'm thinking about having dinner with my family. All I think is just tension and conflict and yet in light of all that joy is still a possibility if you want just someone to pray with you and pray for you they can anoint you with oil as a sign of god's presence on your life as a sign of god's joy on your life you can come up for prayer and for some of you today maybe you're not even a christian maybe someone invited you maybe this is your first time in a church or your first time in a long time in church and you have not been experiencing joy you will never experience joy apart from a relationship with Jesus, a deep abiding relationship with Jesus. You can't purchase it. You, you, can't, you can't find it out there. It's, it's, it comes from beyond purchases. It's something that's a deeper reality than that. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, we have a prayer team. We'll, we'll wait for you as long as we need to wait for you. And if you're saying today is the day, I want rich, that's the joy I've been looking for. I want to invite you to come up for prayer as well. You can come up for whatever needs you have. And on my left, we have the Lord's table. It's a table of grace, table of acceptance. It's a table of joy. And when you come, you can take bread, you can dip it in a cup as a reminder of God's love for you. He was broken and bruised so that you might be whole and healed and joyful. You can come to the center aisle and you can receive it. But as we close, as we always do, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, the reason we end every gathering like this is because this is the posture of the Christian. Before we grasp anything that the rest of the world does, the world grasps, we receive. We live in a posture of receiving, not anxiously grasping, but receiving and waiting for him. And he has joy for us today. 
And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with joy. May you walk out of this room in the power of the Holy Spirit, rejoicing and singing praises to the God who is with you. And may that joy overflow this week and spill out into others that you come across. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the joyful name of Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everybody.